0: Shalom and welcome to The Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. The modern-day issue of this lecture is the spiritual concept of selfless selfishness. This is the polar opposite of selfish selflessness, in which we are selfless for a selfish reason. Giving charity anonymous can be an act of selfish selflessness. The great Rashba writes, It is a mitzvah, a good deed, to publicize those who do good deeds, so that others will be inspired to do the same. Yet for one's own morals, decency, and spirituality, one may prefer to remain anonymous. Thus being anonymous is actually a selfish selflessness in which one's own benefit, albeit a spiritual one, is placed before the benefit of the greater good. One of the spiritual concepts that can drive one mad is when he is questioning with rigorous honesty if a present perception, feelings, thought, speech or action is being driven by a selfish or by a selfless motive. This self-searching of honesty and selflessness is so difficult for our ego is so cunning and baffling that in certain spiritual programs the definition of selfishness is broken down to self-pity, dishonesty, self-will, self-seeking, and fear. Any one of those motives is selfish. In this lecture, based on a teaching of the Rebbe in 1988 concerning Abraham's physical benevolence to others, we are going to learn about the life of selfless selfishness. In truth, is any selflessness that doesn't have selfishness for selfless motives complete? Prayer, as we will soon explain, is the experience of selfless selfishness, in which we are praying for our own needs, especially so for our physical needs, for a selfless reason. There are different opinions concerning the biblical commandment to pray. What everyone agrees upon, though, is the definition of the obligation of prayer. The one and only definition of prayer is bakashas tzrochav, requesting his needs. The different opinions of how often one must biblically pray is precisely because of this definition. Some say that biblically one must pray every once a day for his needs, and others say that one must only pray when they have a need. Often I hear people tell me that they never pray for themselves and that they only pray for other people. Well, according to all opinions, to do so is to not fulfill the biblical commandment of prayer. Yes, an exception would be to pray for someone you love to the point that their needs affect you and are therefore, in essence, your needs as well. However, what makes that prayer a prayer is that you are praying for what is ultimately your own needs. Additionally, being that for the majority of people, physical needs are real and necessary, therefore, praying specifically for our physical needs is what the commandment of prayer is really all about. So, prayer is a selfish experience to pray and to ask of God to fulfill your needs. However, the Zohar states concerning the prayers of the High Holidays that one who prays for their own needs is as a dork, as a dog who barks, give, give. Wow! However, any other prayer would be to not have prayed at all. And now for the list of the mystical concepts that we need to explore in order to understand this lecture: a, Abraham's Inn. B. Faith in God as Elohim or as ineffable tetragrammaton. C. Higher tetragrammaton and lower tetragrammaton. D. The world or world. And finally, E. The actions of forefathers are a sign for sons. And let the amazement of Hasidis begin. In this week's Torah portion, the verse tells us, And he planted, pitched, an ashel, In for food, drink, and accompaniment in 'er Beersheba, and he called there in the name of God, God of the world. What is the connection between Abraham opening an inn and his calling there in the name of God? To answer this question, the Talmud applies here the tradition of don't read as such, rather, read as such. That's a rule, a tradition. And thus, our sages read the verse not as and he, Abraham, and he called. But instead read, And he, Abraham, made others call there, in the name of God, God of the world. The Talmud goes on to explain, How so? After they, they, the travelers, ate and drank, and they stood up to bless Abraham, Abraham said, Was it that you ate of mine creations? Was it not from God of the world that you ate? Praise glorify and bless to he who said as in and god said let there be and there was the world thus we now understand the connection between the opening and the closing of the verse for through abraham's pitching the inn on the road travelers called there to god god of the world okay let's move on to the next introduction Nevertheless, faith in God is Elohim or as ineffable tetragrammaton. By the way, ineffable tetragrammaton simply means the ineffable name of God. Tetragrammaton means four letters. So it's the uh, correct spelling of the word which we pronounce as ADONAI. Okay, that's all that the ineffable tetragrammaton is. It's the Yud Hey Vav name of God. Nevertheless, from a kabbalistic point of view, the question still remains unanswered. The name of God used in the verse is the ineffable tetragrammaton. Thus, according to our sages' interpretation of the verse, Abraham, through bringing to the traveler's attention that all food and drink is God's, Abraham made the traveler call to ineffable tetragrammaton as God of the world. Hasidus points out that the name of God when speaking of God as the creator of the universe is Elohim and not the ineffable tetragrammaton. The verse throughout the entire verses of the story of Genesis states, And Elohim said, let there be. Therefore, our verse should have said, And he made them call there Elohim, not ineffable tetragrammaton. As a matter of fact, Hasidus explains that this is precisely the rebellion of Pharaoh when he said to Moses, Who is God, the ineffable tetragrammaton, that I should heed his voice? to let Israel out. I do not know God in Fbotchgrammaton. Neither will I let Israel out. Pharaoh accepted that there is a God who is the creator of the laws of nature, a God that has a manifestation as the process of evolution of nature. However, a God that transcends beyond the laws of nature and thus doesn't have to play by the rules, so to speak, is what Pharaoh refused to believe in. In other words, God in Jewish faith is not a creator God is God, above and beyond creating a universe. One of the things that God freely chose to do was to create a universe. However, this is not the definition of God, and being a creator is not who God is. As a matter of fact, the Zohar refers to God's creating the universe as Milsa de Hedjuta, mundane works. However. Pharaoh refused to believe in God as anything beyond the Creator. Thus, Pharaoh does not say that he doesn't know Elohim, only that he did not know ineffable tetragrammaton. So, Abraham's inn was just bringing people to acknowledge Elohim. God is the creator of the universe, creator of the food and drink. Why does the verse speak then of the people calling there to ineffable tetragrammaton? We move on to the next concept. To understand this, we need to introduce the Kabbalistic concept of the two dimensions of the ineffable tetragrammaton. In the verse of the 13 attributes of mercy, it states, God, God, benevolent kale, who is compassionate and gracious, and goes on. Kabbalah and Hasidus explain the opening two times of the ineffable Tetragrammaton, God, God, Benevolent Kael, as the two dimensions of higher Tetragrammaton and lower Tetragrammaton. While we explained earlier that all of creation speaks of the name Elohim, nevertheless, the power of creating ex nihilo, something from nothing, is not in the name Elohim, but in the ineffable Tetragrammaton. In the code of Jewish law, the law defines the names of God so that we know what we must set our intention upon when we say the different names of God in our prayers. The intention of the name Elohim is who to him is the strength in the celestial and in, terrest- and in the terrestrial. Concerning the ineffable tetragrammaton, there's an interpretation of to be from the same root of mishave to bring into existence. This is what the verse means when it says, For a sun and a shield is God, ineffable tetragrammaton, Elohim. The name Elohim wraps around the ineffable tetragrammaton as a shield to the sun, through which the infinite power of the ineffable tetragrammaton is concealed within the name Elohim to create a finite universe. So, there you go. It's the ineffable tetragrammaton within the name Elohim which does the creating Of ex nihilo, Elohim makes sure that the creation is expressed in a finite universe. This is the dimension of the lower tetragrammaton. The dimension of the higher tetragrammaton is infinitely above and beyond the finite evolution of the name Elohim, of clothing itself within Elohim, and of being a creator. The higher tetragrammaton is the name which is associated with the essence of God as God simply is, beyond any definition, action, or even potential. Thus, what Abraham was doing was bringing the attention of the traveler guest in his inn to see beyond the spiritual glove of Elohim and to see the hand of God, the lower tetragrammaton, the infinite power of God within his finite universe. This will also explain a grammatical choice of our verse. The Hebrew words say, And he called there in the name of God, God world, not God of the world, God-world, Kale olam and not Kel-Ha-Olam, God of the world. Mystically speaking, Ha-Olam, if it would have said Kel-Ha-Olam, of the world, would denote that there are two identities, that of God and that of the world, and we acknowledge that God is the God of the world. However, the word in Kale olam God-world, is emphasizing that Abraham brought the consciousness of the traveler guest in his inn to recognize not only is God he who has total and absolute power of the world, but rather that God is everything and everything is God. Thus the world is nothing but a piece of God, expressed as a universe. The world is the word and breath of God, which brought it into existence when, and God said, let there be. One final point before we close this lecture with returning to our modern-day issue of selfless selfishness. Our sages teach us the actions of forefathers are a sign for sons. Simply speaking, the teaching is telling us that our forefathers' lives are signs as to what will happen to their offspring. However, mystically speaking, the teaching is telling us that the actions of our fathers being before the giving of the Torah are only a sign of which we will, post-receiving the Torah, bring these signs of our forefathers into full actualization. In other words, before God descended upon the physical Mount Sinai to give us the Torah, and before God commanded physical Moses to ascend up to heaven to receive the Torah, there was a separation between the spiritual and the physical. Therefore, any spiritual acts of our forefathers were just signs for us here in the physical world. It is only after God gave us the Torah here on earth that we are able to unite and affect the spiritual through our physical actions. It was only after God descended upon Mount Sinai and said to us, I am God, your God, that we are able to transform the world into an abode for God and to draw God's essence, higher tetragrammaton, into this physical world through our physical actions this is why abraham's in was only able to connect the conscious of the people with the lower tetragrammaton however we the offspring of our forefathers through the acts of goodness and kindness are connecting a not only the lower tetragrammaton but the higher tetragrammaton as well and b not only connecting God to the human conscious, but also connecting God with our bodies and the physical objects of this world as well. Through our actions of mitzvot observance, we turn physical objects into eternal holy mitzvot artifacts, such as that of the Western Wall and the Temple Mount, sanctified for eternity when we built a holy temple there. In closing, we can now understand the secret of prayer and of how to make sure that our selfishness is looking out for ourselves and for our physical needs be only about our selflessness. When Abraham prayed for sustenance and probably for wealth, what was Abraham praying for? Well, do you wonder what makes me so sure that Abraham actually prayed for wealth? Simple. I see what Abraham did with his wealth, and I know that Abraham definitely prayed for wealth. For the more wealth Abraham had, the more he was able to multiply what he was doing with his wealth. Read our verse, and you will see what Abraham did with his wealth. Abraham made an inn with which he fed travelers. And why did Abraham do that? Only so that, and he made others call there in the name of God, God of the world. It is a bib- It is biblically obligatory that we be selfish in the sense that we pray for our needs. And, this is very important, and God doesn't favor the pauper prayer in which we ask only for the minimum. Rather, God favors the wealthy prayer if it be selfless in the sense that we are asking to be able to serve God in abundance. The pauper prayer that asks of God for the bare minimum so that we can take care of our needs is far more selfish than the wealthy prayer which asks God for absolute wealth so that we can exponentially take care of God's needs in feeding, clothing, and employing the needy, sponsor Torah study, peace and tolerance, and all other divine causes. As humans, we will never find inner peace in anything less than selfless selfishness. Victor E. Frankel, Shoah survivor, neurologist, psychiatrist, and author of Man's Search for Meaning, explains the importance of finding meaning in all forms of existence, even the most brutal ones, and thus a reason to continue living. Meaning, for the human who was created in the image and likeness of God, can ultimately only be of the selfless nature. Nevertheless, the core of every creature is its own survival, which in its core essence is selfishness, the ultimate struggle of the existence of I. Thus the human experience of meaning can only be fulfilled when we can permeate our core selfishness with selflessness. That is what the biblical commandment of prayer is, to pray for our needs, but not to pray for it as a dog who barks, give me, give me. Friends, our meaning and purpose is God's ultimate pleasure. Pray big. Pray for abundance. Pray for exponentially to fulfill God's desire for you. Friends, modernity offers growth, and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here, at the platform of the Jewish mind, is where modernity meets Judaism.